Father, we thank you for the ways in which you speak through your word. Thank you that you speak not only through the passages we love, but also the passages that we find harder to read. Thank you that your word is a living word, and we pray that you would reveal yourself to us afresh through it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I want you to turn to the people around you on your table and share with one another an embarrassing moment. It doesn't have to be the most embarrassing, but an embarrassing moment of some kind uh, with one another. Here you go. It all depends on how brave you're feeling as to what you share. Okay, if I can encourage you to um, finish your conversations there. Some of you feeling very relieved, you didn't have time. Okay. You're having too much fun sharing embarrassing moments, clearly. It's good. Okay, so, so we all have them. We all have those embarrassing moments, and I, and I know from the moment I asked it that some of you panicked about the thought of just having to share something embarrassing. Right now what I want you to do is turn to the person next to you and tell them something you've never told anybody else. Your deepest, darkest... No, I'm kidding. I'm not. But I know, all joking aside, that had I made you do that, some of you would have panicked. The thought of turning to the person next to you, who you may know fairly well, you may not know that well at all, and telling them something you've never told them before can be quite a daunting thing, can't it? Because let's be honest, I would imagine everybody here has something about themselves that they'd rather other people don't know. Maybe something from your past, maybe something from years back, maybe something you've done recently, uh, maybe something you do regularly. We all have those things, those things that uh, Paul talks about in Galatians, of the desires of the flesh and all those kind of things that we know are not right, we know they're not of God, we know we'd rather not do them, but yet we do, all the time. And we really hope, we really hope that no one ever finds out. We all have them, because we're all human. We're all broken. We're all uh, messed up in many ways, and that's what this sermon series is, is about, is looking at that brokenness. And we're looking this morning at David. Now, King David, for him, uh, that, that problem, that issue was the issue of lust. And for you, that may be an issue for you. Maybe pornography is something you struggle with. Maybe you have lust of things or lust of possessions, lust of other people's uh, lives. Maybe for you, it's more about lying or anger or greed uh, or judging others. Whatever it is, that we have those ugly parts of ourselves, those things that we don't like. And we read in this story of David from uh, 2 Samuel 11, I think one of the hardest stories to read in the Bible. I really struggle to read this story. This is the same David who was chosen by God to be king over a nation. This is the same David who, who destroyed a giant with just a few stones uh, as a shepherd boy. This is the same David who was anointed as king. The same David who did incredible things for God and was a man described after God's own heart. This is the same David who went on to be the birthline of Jesus Christ himself. 
And we like those things about David, don't we? We celebrate those things about David. But when it comes to this, we prefer to kind of gloss over this and pretend it didn't really happen, pretend it wasn't really there, uh, and just remember the good things about David. But it did really happen. It is really there. So the question is, what can we learn from this? What does, what is God revealing to us through this act of the desire of the flesh of David? Who this mighty king had sent everyone else off to battle, uh, he stayed on his own, he remained at home, and in that moment he sees this beautiful woman bathing on a roof. Um, I had a friend who went to Israel recently and he sent me a photo of um, a palace looking down on a roof. Uh, it wasn't necessarily David's palace, but one like David's palace. And it showed just how easy it would have been for David to have a full view of everything that was going on on that rooftop. And in a moment of weakness and a moment of temptation, uh, he gives in to that temptation and uh, he has this affair. I don't know if anything, if you're anything like me, when, when you watch a TV program or a film where someone has an affair, you have that sense of injustice and you're like, just don't do it, don't do it. And they do and you get angry maybe inside about it because you know it's wrong, you know it's not right. Paul describes the, these desires of the flesh as being obvious because we know they're wrong. We know they're not right, and they give us that sense of injustice, and I have that as I read this. But it's not only about the sin that David committed with Bathsheba, as bad as that is, it's what he went on to do to cover up that sin. He went on, in the passages we didn't have in between the verses that we had, uh, he lied about it, he tried to, obviously we know that Bathsheba fell pregnant, he tried to trick Bathsheba's husband to come back, and sleep with her so that it could look like it was his baby when we all knew it was David's. It's like something from a soap opera, isn't it? He covers it up, and then it even leads to murder in order to cover it up. Because what he's doing is he's doing everything he can to hide the shame that he feels. Everything he can to make sure that that shame doesn't come into the main arena with his people around him. He does everything he can to shove, cover that shame. I wonder, Paul, could you um, put up the first verse of Becky's new song for me? You've called us by name. We are loved. We belong. We are free. You have freed us from shame. How many of us can really say that we believe those words? Because the reality about shame is what it does is it says, Jesus died for the world, but not for me. Jesus is able to forgive any sin but not the thing that I did. Jesus' mercies are new every morning, but if I keep going down this road, they're going to run out eventually. It's shame that keeps us from really accepting what Jesus did on the cross for us. It's shame that keeps us in that place of thinking we're never going to break free from this pattern in our lives, this thing from our past. Whatever it is, it's shame that keeps us in that place. But shame is the very thing that Jesus came to defeat on the cross. He came to destroy sin and everything associated with it, including shame. But shame really holds us back from accepting that identity, accepting that thing, that truth. That is an absolute truth. That his desire is to free us from shame. To know that when we come to the cross, which is a level playing field for all people, we can turn to him and he will free us from sin and the shame that goes with it. That's what he died for. The Bible describes it that Jesus, not, not only did he take away our sin, but he clothed us, in, clothed us in righteousness. 
So that when we uh, confess our sins and when we seek to walk in God's ways, which we'll come to in a minute, he doesn't see the sin. He doesn't see the brokenness. He sees righteousness. He sees Jesus in us. That's incredible, I think. That is grace. It can't be earned. It's given. It was earned on the cross for us. And every time we hold on to the shame, and every time the shame keeps us from that place of refusing to accept what Jesus has done for us, we're undermining what he came to do. Because he came to destroy that. And why would he do it for someone else and not for you? That's not how he works. That's not a God of love, is it? He did it for all of his children because his desire is for all to be saved from sin, from death, and from shame. And the Bible reminds us that when we turn to Jesus, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. So why is it you're letting shame make you believe that nothing except that can separate you from the love of God? You see, the writer of Galatians makes it very clear, really, there's nothing new under the sun when it comes to sin. Uh, Our principal at college said, I wish people would be more inventive with their sin. (laughs) But realistically, we can't. Because they're obvious. And you really think that Jesus died for you, or for somebody, but not for you? Then you're believing a lie. And that lie is being led by shame. Well, the enemy is using shame to keep you in that place. So what then can we learn from David about shame? What can we learn about moving away from shame and into freedom? As I've been praying for this morning, my prayer above anything else has been, God, will you break shame this morning? However you want to do it, whether you want to do it in the worship, which he's already beginning to do, I think. I mean, I had no idea that was a line in Becky's new song. At the psalm that we heard read, we'll come to that in a minute as well. I'm praying that God is going to break shame this morning. And that's a work that only he can do, but we have a part in it. And let me just explain to you from David what I think that part is. Repentance is key. And repentance is a word we don't like to use very much. We might use it in our liturgy, but it's not a word we like to really use, if that makes sense. That whole sense of turning 180 degrees. But the trouble is that with repentance, what most of us tend to do is we do the turning away from, and we try to walk away from a particular pattern in our lives, but like a bungee cord, it just pulls us back. And I think the reason for that is we're very good at the turning away from, but we forget that repentance is also about turning to. It's about turning to something, or rather, it's about turning to someone. Turning away from the thing that holds us and fixing our eyes firmly on Jesus. And for some of us, that can be a one-done thing. For others, we might have to do that every single day. If there is something that particularly holds us and has a grip on us, then every day we will need to turn and face him. Look to him. Look to his ways. Seek his spirit in our lives. Because as we read in Galatians, to walk in the spirit, you need to be forward moving, don't you? Which means moving away from the thing that holds you back towards something that is good. Walking in the spirit with God. Seeking him every day. Seeking him every time you mess up, knowing that you can turn back to him, that his mercies do not run out. 
but they are new every morning. And so our desire is to turn. You see, in, uh, if you've got your Bibles open, you might want to uh, turn to 2 Samuel, just where we have the reading in 2 Samuel 11. And if you flick slightly further on uh, to uh, 2 Samuel 12, uh, you'll see just before that, it says, the thing that David has done displeased the Lord. I- I'm going to just highlight that and say that this talk is not about excusing what David did. David did a terrible thing. David did something that no one should do. And we're not excusing what David did when we talk about what happens next. We need to acknowledge that we know it was wrong in the eyes of the Lord and it displeased the Lord. But if you've got your Bibles open, turn to uh, chapter 12, verse 13. And David is talking to Nathan, and we'll come to this in a minute. But he says, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin, you shall not die. Now that in itself is an incredible thing. First that he says, I have sinned against the Lord. He recognizes the wrong that he's done, uh, and he's recognizing that it's wronged God. You know, it has wronged other people as well. He has wronged Bathsheba, he has wronged Bathsheba's wife, he's wronged, wronged his whole kingdom, really. But he acknowledges that more than anything else, he's wronged God. He has sinned against God. And he repents of that. And if you have any doubt of David's repentance, read Psalm 51 again. We read it together. When you read the beginning of Psalm 51, you realize that that was written at this exact moment. This exact moment where Nathan has challenged him and he's repented. Psalm 51 is David's repentance. And I challenge you to read that and not see his heart behind that. (laughs) Because it's a really heartfelt repentance. And he is turning, he's choosing to turn away from what he did and turn to fix his eyes on God, on the Father who loves him. And God goes on to continue to use David for incredible things. Why? Because God has made promises to David. If you flick back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, in verse 9 you read, And I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. Uh, again in verse uh, 28, and now Lord God, you are, your words are true. You have promised a good thing to your servant. You see, God has made promises to David. And he's not in the business of breaking promises. And when David made that choice to repent and to turn away from and to turn to God, God is able to reinstate that promise and say, I'm still going to do this. It's still my desire to do this in you. And so David turns and he repents. But if we're being brutally honest with ourselves, repentance isn't easy, is it? It's actually a really difficult thing to do, particularly if what is holding us back is an addiction or what is holding us back is something that we've come to be very familiar with or something that we've carried for years. It's really hard to turn and to face Jesus. Well, this is where I believe we need one another. This is where we need our brothers and sisters in Christ. If you will allow me to speculate for just a minute, and I don't often like to speculate uh, in Scripture, don't worry, but uh, turn back with me to 1 Samuel 20. And in 1 Samuel 20, we read of what is, I think, one of my favorite relationships in the Bible, one of my favorite friendships, and it's the friendship between David and Jonathan. 
Now, this is an incredible relationship. Jonathan, if you don't know, is the son of Saul, who at the time of this particular chapter was still king. And uh, he knew that David was going to be king, succeeding him, and Saul wanted David dead for reasons we won't go into uh, today. You can read it for yourself in 1 Samuel. And in the time that Saul is trying to kill David, David is running and he's in hiding. And Jonathan, the son of the current king, does everything he can to protect David. He even risks his own life to protect David. He risks everything he has, even risks his relationship with his own father, in order to protect David. And it says this in verse 17 of chapter 20, Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. And then in verse uh, 42, Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn, both of us, in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. This is clearly a very close friendship, isn't it? I think it's hard to deny that this is a close friendship between Jonathan and David. At the beginning of 2 Samuel, we read of Jonathan's death. Jonathan is murdered along with his father, and we read of David's absolute grief in chapter 6. And, and then we also read that he, he kind of finds another ally uh, whose name is Abner. And Abner is a really good uh, friend of David's as well. They become quite close quite quickly. Uh, they support one another, and then Abner dies. And David once again uh, mourns and grieves. I wonder, and I only wonder, if things would have been different for David if either Jonathan or Abner were still around. Is Jonathan the kind of friend who would have held David accountable for his actions? Is he the kind of friend who would have maybe known that there was a weakness about David and ensured that David never got himself into a situation? If Jonathan was around, when David sent everybody off to the army, knowing that he would be on his own, would Jonathan have said, but I'm staying here? Because I know what happens when you're on your own. Would things have been any different? Now, we can't really know. You can't really know whether David and Bathsheba would have still happened. And obviously, God still used that family line and still did amazing things. But what we do know is that not long after this, somebody called Nathan comes along. Now, Nathan massively rebukes David. Uh, chapter 12 is, is, is a kind of chapter that you would read thinking, oh gosh, Nathan, <laughs> go easy on the man. But he doesn't, because he knows David needs to be challenged. He knows that what is done is wrong. And it's through Nathan, it's through this relationship with this particular friend that David realizes the wrong he's done. And it's Nathan who helps David to repent. So my question for you this morning is who is your Jonathan? Who is your Nathan? Who is the brother or sister in Christ that you have who really knows you? Who really knows your weaknesses, who really knows the things that you've struggled with in the past and can struggle with again. Because I said to you at the beginning, turn to the person next to you and tell them something you've never told anybody. This week, 
If there is anything you've never told anybody, then tell your Jonathan. Tell your Nathan. Because there is something that when we share something that we're so ashamed of, we realize it's not as big as we've made it to ourselves. When we internalize these things, they really grow in weight and power. They really do. Because that's how the enemy works. We believe the lies. But when we share them with other people, we realize actually those lies can be broken. And we realize that shame can be defeated. He's defeated it on the cross for us. And sometimes we just need someone to help us there to see, to remember what Jesus has done for us. Now the Holy Spirit does the work in us. He brings the conviction, he brings the challenge, he leads us to the cross, he leads us to repentance, gives us the desire to repent, gives us the desire to turn. But if there's something you've struggled with for many years, you will know as I speak, you've not been able to do it on your own till now. So who's your Jonathan? Who's your Nathan? Who can you share that load with? Because it can be, it's not always the case, but it may well be that if you share this with something, there's there's one of the few things that can happen. The first is you could hear the most shame-breaking words that exist. Just two words. Those words are me too. Nothing breaks shame more than the words me too. To know that you're not alone. To know that you're not the only person in the world who struggles with this thing, because the reality is you're not. But you've believed that you are, for years, probably. If that doesn't happen, then hopefully, if you've chosen the right Jonathan or the right Nathan, or female equivalent, then they will still accept you for who you are. They will still love you for who you are. And if they can do it, then surely God can. Surely God can. And that's the whole reason he sent his son. is so that you can come as you are. And we have this warped thing that says we've got to get ourselves sorted and then we can come to Jesus. When the reality is we come to Jesus and with him we get it sorted. Sometimes we need a Jonathan, we need a Nathan to help us there. So as you're sat here this morning and as you heard the word shame and you read that song and you thought, well, that's great, but it's not, I can't see that. I can't, I'm not free from shame. Shame has a hold over me. Then I urge you, I encourage you, I implore you, whatever your age this morning that you find your Jonathan, that you find your Nathan, and you share with them this week. That you read Psalm 51, and you see David's heart, and you pray for God to make that your heart too, whatever it is you struggle with. Because the reality is there is nothing, there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. But if in your head you think there is, then you're believing a lie. And you need someone to remind you of the truth today. Can I invite you to stand? Okay, so uh, for some of you here, uh, you will need a Jonathan. You'll need a Nathan. But for others of you, um, there may be a work that God wants to do right now, right in this moment. So I just want to encourage you, just uh, eyes closed, just so we're not distracted. 
by the people around us, and maybe you want to bring to mind that thing, that part of you, that shameful bit that you have. And I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, would you break that shame this morning? Lead us to the cross where we can know your forgiveness and where shame has held us back from accepting that truth. We pray that you would speak truth over us now. Lord, we're sorry for believing the lies. Father, we pray, speak truth over us now. And Lord, if there's something deeper in us, something that we struggle with for too long to be dealt with in this moment, we pray right now, would you show us who we can share that with. Would you give us the boldness and the courage to do that? And may we together come to the cross and know your forgiveness. I sense maybe there's someone here who has uh, done something wrong in their past and because, because somebody else has not forgiven them for it, they don't think that God can. And his call to you is, uh, he can and he has. And for the, the person who's not forgiving you, it might be more of a journey, it might take them more time. But he has. And if there's anybody here who has been wronged by someone else, and there is shame around what somebody has done to you, then perhaps today it's about beginning that journey towards uh, forgiveness, which is something that you need uh, God's help with. So just ask him for that help. Lord Jesus, we turn to you
and we choose to walk from this day in your ways knowing that your grace is enough Uh, if you feel that you need to um, pray with somebody, then we're going to uh, have some song worship. If I can ask the prayer ministry team to maybe um, take their positions now, um, then there'll be some people who would be willing to pray for you during this next little uh, block of worship or after the service, if that's uh, more appropriate. Um, uh, please do make use of that or grab uh, anybody else you trust uh, to pray with you uh, this morning. But don't leave this place uh, without doing that business with God. Uh, ultimately, He wants you to know he's defeated shame. That's why he came. And his love for you far outweighs anything that you've ever done. Uh, And you can know his forgiveness today. Let's uh, continue in song worship, shall we?